Welcome back to part two of our mid-season review for season 2019. My name's Aaron Kemp. As always, I'm joined by Will Murden as we touch on all things on the first half of season 2019. And we will dive into more aspects of college football and the awards to give out as well. Thank you for joining us again. We're going to have a look at the title hunt. All right. We're going to go through three kind of groups here. The teams that are in, the teams that are on the bubble, and the teams that are definitely out. Not a, Let's start with the teams that are in. And I've got six here for you. And I've got some ideas about what I think. But I want you to give me, William, the key floor, the area that makes this team vulnerable as we head towards the playoff. So the six teams that I've got are LSU, Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, Wisconsin. Now those things also correspond or correlate to the eight-team playoff or Will South Pole that we've mentioned uh, on the recap episodes. So let's start with the number one team in the country, LSU. In no poll are they number one in the country, but... I did read an ESPN power ranking that had them number one. Oh, really? Okay. So what could hold back LSU? Uh, for mine, and this just feels weird saying it, it could be the defense that holds them back. It, uh, It's odd. You shouldn't say that. This is LSU. They are a defensive powerhouse. It is always the offense that can't get it done. I still have faith in their defense, but I guess if we're looking at what potentially could be the issue, we haven't seen it strung together from the defense yet. Yes, they've got elite playmakers. They've got the best tandem uh, backfield in safety corner, Stingley and Grant Delpit. Amazing. They've, they've got studs on that side of the ball, but it, it's not quite gelling at the moment. I don't think they're keeping up with what the offense is doing uh, and the fact that they're having to play a little bit more because the tempo has gone up. They're scoring on these big chunk plays a lot. So you get gassed. You're tired. You're, fucking, you're on the field a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, I agree with half of what you're saying there. That I mean, they have given up points. 38, 38 and 28 points against Power 5 teams. The three Power 5 teams they've played this year, they've given up big scores too, which is a bit of a concern. I mean, they're still scoring 60 points a game or you know, something stupid in those games anyway. So they're not quite that, but they're getting across the line based on the offense. I've heard this argument before from coaches when they say, oh, the offense is scoring too quickly for our defense and they're getting tired. Get fucked. If there's anything that gives confidence to a defense, and we know, we've both played defense before, we've both played sport before. If there's something that gives defense confidence, it's the fact that your offense is doing really well. Yeah, but I'll it tell- gives you that buffer, it gives you that ease, and knowing that, you know what, even if we fuck up a couple of times here, we're going to score, so yeah, we're but, okay. But I guess that kind of plays into what we're saying here. That Possibly, You yeah. give up points. So one thing is, I've never been... You know, six six three thirty pounds before. <laughs> I haven't done that, so I don't know what it feels like having to back up. Well, I have known having to play kickoff, receiver, punt, defense, defense I'm on that punt team, returner, I'm on that team, and, on that and team. go on the full forty eight minutes without leaving the field. I, I I know that well, but I haven't known having to carry that much weight around and be on the field a lot. And then also, I think you kind of inadvertently went against what you were saying yourself there. And when you're putting up a score, you can kind of drop off a little bit. When your team can only score 14 points, 17 points, you know that if you give up a touchdown, you might fucking lose. Yeah. When your team's putting up 45, you give up a touchdown, who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all right. Doesn't matter. All right. I'm going to ball out. I'm going to get another sack. I don't give a fuck if I miss it. Yeah, he, he bust past me and breaks off a twenty-yard touchdown I'm gonna run. Fire my shot here! I'm gonna, I'm gonna get those stats. I'm gonna get me my numbers. Yeah, exactly. Um, I suppose the other thing about that is we thought Florida's defense was good, uh, and it wasn't. When we, saw, I mean, I say it wasn't. It wasn't that good. It wasn't as good as we thought. Uh, and that is, there is a danger for LSU to follow suit there. All right, Alabama. For me, I think that Alabama's run defense is a little bit of a weakness. Well, it's young. The, certainly the defensive side, but yeah, they are young They're for banged maybe up. the first time. Well, it's because they've got these injuries. They had like two season-ending injuries at key linebacker positions for guys that they were relying on. 
I'm not crying them a river because they're replaced <laughs> with five-star guys. You love a five-star player as well. Well, yeah, but they're dudes who would have been absolute superstars from wherever they've come from, from their high school team, and they're, they're doing all right. But it is an odd position for them to be in, in relying in this sort of inexperience in certain positions at the moment. So that is a bit of a risk for them. Yeah, and I mean, they're still going to, like LSU, they're going to put up a lot of points. So you're still going to have to score a shit load and try and get some stops. Team number three, or third cab off the rank, that we believe is in the title hunt, and that is Oklahoma. What is the weakness? You know Oklahoma football far better than I do. What is the weakness with this season's iteration of the Sooners? It's a lot harder to identify this year. I agree. Because predominantly it's always been the defense. It's been an easy one. You go, yeah, it's OU's defense. They're not going to be able to stop anyone. Yes, they'll put up 60, but they're going to give up 67. So they're in trouble there. This year, that doesn't seem to be the case. Yes, they're still going to leak a few points here and there, but everyone we've mentioned will. They are much, much better in that one. And that's why I think they're kind of distanced themselves from a good Big 12 this year because they're a pretty well-rounded team. They are a tough one to say what is their weakness because they've got a quarterback who is experienced and can beat you in multiple ways. Maybe it's his limit through the air, but then you think, well, they've got Lincoln Riley calling the plays and he does it better than anyone else at the level. So nope, not willing to go on that. All right, offensively, I'm not going to call anything. Let's flip onto the defensive side again and go, well, whilst they're better, they're still not great. It's got to be still that, yeah, defensively. Okay, so the Alex Grinch defense is, you know, we're pumping them up a little bit. I mean, they did give up, I say at some points, not a lot, 27 points to Texas. I mean, that's going to win them more games than it's going to lose. For me, the biggest concern that I would have is, They've just never done it before. They've just never actually produced before. When we get to the college football playoff in two consecutive Let's years... Let's just be careful with ever. Not... Okay, sorry. Yeah, I won't go ever. We won't go back to the 1970s. Um, but, you know, under Baker Mayfield and under Kyler Murray, they just couldn't... They couldn't win it on the big stage. And there's that bit of a monkey on the back... Uh, where you do have to shake that thing a little bit and you've got to break that thing down. The other thing I would say is that Mariota and the high-scoring Oregon Ducks under Chip Kelly had the same issue, that when push came to shove against a bigger, faster defense, they couldn't hang with them enough, long enough to get across the line. And as much as I love offense, you know I love an explosive offense. We're starting, we, we see year in, year out, that good defense still wins championships. And that still holds true. And that would be my biggest concern. If Oklahoma get out of the semifinal, like if they go undefeated for the year, win the Big 12, get out of the semifinal, whichever semifinal matchup they play, I would say they'd go in as favorite to the national championship game because I feel like they would get that monkey off the back. But until they do that, I just... They just haven't been there yet. They just haven't done it. And that would be my biggest concern. I know that's an intangible. I know that's loose. There's nothing kind of uh, data-based, analytical, statistical that I can really lean on that says that Oklahoma can't do it. Yeah, okay. I I don't hate that. Sometimes there is just that it feeling or that whatever it is that you kind of know exists, especially at this college level. It, it, there's a whole bunch of them around the place and the monkey on the back is one of them. Yeah, for sure. All right, Clemson. What is the issue with Clemson not repeating? Why wouldn't they not win the national championship this Boredom. year? <laughs> Boredom. Oh God, if that was only an issue at Miami. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, oh, we're sick of winning. No, but seriously, like, I think there is a thing to desire and having been through that. Yes, it's like, there's more turnover in this sport than probably any other year on year. I mean, it feels like maybe in the NFL, there's probably more about how, how the much Adelaide they Crows this year. Man. Yeah, that's another good example. But it... It is a massive factor, the whole motivation thing, because you really need to be at the top of your game. There's one thing being the most talented. There's one thing having the best coaches. But another part of that puzzle is to be the most motivated, 
to be putting in your best effort every time you're training because you know what's on the line. And it can kind of go a couple of ways. You can achieve that and then go, oh, yeah, now that's what I want. Like I've achieved that and I know how good that feels and what that did for my life. The Michael Jordan Bulls probably is a... And I want to continue to do that. Then there's the other side of it of, fuck, that was fun, but that was such hard work. I've achieved that. I'm going to rest on my laurels a little bit. And, and it's like, it's, it's only a little bit. I'm talking like a few percent here, but it is something. And other teams aren't doing that. That hunger has dipped off a little bit. And I think that may be an issue for them. Yeah, I don't know that I believe that they're going to relax or rest on their laurels. I think that it... and. Having experienced going to a number of consecutive football grand finals, I found the thing for me, sorry about that little boast there, William, I didn't mean to kind of rub your face in that, but, and Bill Parcells, I think, wrapped it up. He said the fear of losing or the relief of winning outweighed the fear of the loss. And it gets to a point where each one of your games that you win is more relief than an enjoyment. And the pressure is so great that you're expected just to win that you don't actually enjoy the wins. It's not as exciting. It's not as fun. You just, that's what's expected of you. And then when you lose, it's extremely devastating and the enjoyment's just not there. And that would be, I think that you were kind of in the same vein there, that that would be my biggest, not my biggest concern with Clemson, but certainly a concern where they're just like, you know what, we're just running through the table. We're expected to win. We do win. We're not enjoying it really. It's just what we have to do. It's just business at the moment. And then all of a sudden, okay, you get to a playoff. Can you then close that out? And can you enjoy that moment? Uh, For me, it's the Trevor Lawrence sophomore slump. Can he, it's not a sophomore slump, let's just pump the brakes on that a fraction, but can he get out of that half a rut that he is in that, you know, he may be struggling a fraction. He's a couple of, you know, even that interception he threw against Florida State wasn't particularly great running down the sideline, throwing it, trying to throw it away, but didn't. And then it gets picked off. Like he's just got to not make that play in the future. So that is one for me that is, if he can improve his play, I think Clemson have got all the talent and are good enough to win it. They'll need a good team defensive effort, but they're well coached. So uh, it would just be the play of Trevor Lawrence and that offense. Okay, moving right along. Let's jump into Ohio State. And what is the thing that is preventing Ohio State from winning the national championship? Because next to their name, I have got absolutely nothing. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State are probably one of the toughest ones to peg down at the moment from where they are. You know, I've got them at number one in my South Pole because they have been the most complete team to date from what I've seen. So to try and predict what's going to be their biggest issue. It's really tough. You look at a young quarterback, maybe it's that inexperience there, perhaps not sure. Uh, The defense has not shown anything yet that has me really concerned. If I had to pull something for you, I'm going to throw out inexperience at the head coaching position. Wow. So probably a little unfair, but I'm just thinking when it gets to crunch time and you have a team that has to come up against uh, a head coach like a Nick Saban or a Dabo Sweeney or an Ed Orgeron or whoever it is, these guys have been around a long time at that highest level and they have game planned and they've done whatever it needs to do to win at that level. And I've seen that. I've got that proof. Well, maybe not from Ed Ogeron, but from those other boys. <laughs> I haven't seen that from Ryan Day, so I kind of have to say I don't know if I have confidence in him being able to do that. Yeah, ooh, I don't know. Maybe this Northwestern team might be able to find a bit of a blueprint this week. I mean, this is a good Northwestern defense, so maybe they can figure out, well, how do we stop this? I think if you can stop... J.K. Dobbins, I know I spoke earlier about the fact that Urban Meyer liked to spread to run, and Ryan Day is still within that framework, don't get me wrong, but he's more than willing to push the ball down the field. Maybe 
I mean, Michigan State struggled to go with them, and they've got a fantastic defense as well. So I don't feel particularly comfortable. But maybe if you can shut down the run game and force them into being a little bit one-dimensional with Justin Fields, and then you're expecting a, a Ohio State team on the shoulders of a, of a relatively inexperienced quarterback, like you said, maybe that's the ticket. But you need some things to go your way. You've got to get up 14 to nothing, maybe block and return a punt, return a kickoff, do something, have, have the ball bounce your way, and you've got to get some pressure on. You've got to score early. If you allow this team to go up, 14 nothing or you know 7 14 they're just gonna cruise away with the game so i agree i think ohio both ohio state and oklahoma are really hard to pin down as teams with real glaring weaknesses um maybe that oklahoma defense is still not the full deal yet but ohio state geez i don't know where i would go and and i think you're well justified to think that they are Possibly one of the best teams in the country, or the best team in the country. Cool. Lastly, Wisconsin. How do you stop a team that doesn't stop running and doesn't stop, well, just stops everyone else, actually? They are a really, really tough. They're old school. They are old school. They know their MO. It is we run the ball, you don't score. Can snow, rain, hail, shine. This is what's happening. Everybody on the planet knows what's happening. And they're still going to do it, and they're going to do it with success. Yeah. I mean, for them, it is, I think, a fairly simple blueprint to beat them, though. It's you take away Jonathan Taylor. The blueprint's simple. The execution. (laughs) Yet to actually occur. Exactly right. Maybe hasn't happened, but that's got to be the blueprint, right? You make their young quarterback who hasn't really had to do a whole lot, win the football game. You put it in his hands. You you put all of your corners on an island and say, you got no support for this. Everyone is keying in on the run. We're blocking that out, but we're backing you boys in to get it done. And the elite sides like your Ohio State, your Clemson, your Alabama, your LSU – will have confidence in their defensive backs to be able to do that. So that's not going to be an issue. You do that and you say, we need to have everyone supporting us to stop them from executing their real strength, which is running the ball. And then you've got to find a way to score. I mean, that's the issue with Wisconsin too. So it's not going to be easy enough to score, but I think that's obviously the downside for them is that passing game and, and... anything outside of Jonathan Taylor offensively, if you can limit what he can do there, I think is the ticket out. Yeah, but it's not like teams haven't gone like zero coverage, (laughs) stack the box with nine dudes. Yeah, but it's not like they've played uh, uh, an elite, elite defense. I mean... I mean, they've played Michigan State. Yeah, and I guess I have called them a top five defense all year, so I'm being a bit hypocritical here. And they put 38 points on them and and a Michigan... Start, uh, Michigan defense that was okay. They only scored 24 against Northwestern. Good defense or good-ish defense. Uh, so, you know, maybe there is a ticket there, but, but it's just gonna like you've got to go punch for punch. It'll be a it'll be a heavyweight bout where you're gonna get smashed in the mouth a lot, and you've got to wear it on the chin and get up and fight back. We're talking Rocky Four here. Yeah, we are. I mean, they are conceding five points a game. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Uh, you know they're going to run the ball well. And then, of course, like you said, plays into the hands of Jack Cohn, who can just go play action. If you can, like you said, somehow keep Jonathan Taylor under wraps, which I'm still yet to see anyone really do, you know, even with Saquon Barkley in the last year at Penn State, he still had those games where he like rushed it 20 times for 60 yards or 58 yards or something. And you're like, you've kept him in check. You've done the right thing. I'm yet to see that against Wisconsin. And if they, if someone could possibly manage that, fantastic. And if you can force Jack Cohn to throw the ball 30, 35 times a game, you give yourself a chance. Still haven't seen it done. When it happens, I'll be frothing at the mouth. Okay, teams on the bubble. Um, I know you're big on these guys, but Auburn uh, are a team that could push up into that, you know, top six. I think their biggest weakness is Bo Nix at this stage. True freshman quarterback. He has been certainly not lighting the world. I was going to say up and down, but he's rarely actually outside of the 
Oregon game at Sadie has rarely been up too high. He's been solid without being spectacular, but I would be concerned about him and the offense moving forward. That defense and and you, your boy Derek Brown, uh, I've got no issues. Yeah, with fair shout. He but. he does limit them somewhat, so I think you're fair in assessing them in that space. Uh, he's got a bright future ahead of him, but he's still picking it up. It's a big adjustment. Yeah, and maybe Gus Malzahn's play calling. Penn State, I know you're still sort of big on Penn State, maybe. Where is their biggest issue? Uh, they uh, have inexperience across the board still. So they've got a freshman running back who's coming in to carry the load now. Uh, their quarterback is a young fellow, uh, Clifford, what's he, a sophomore? Uh, yeah, no. Doesn't have a whole heap of starting experience regardless uh, after Trace McSorley no, he left. Doesn't. Yeah, correct. So they, they've got a lot of uh, shoes to fill across the board that they've done really well so far, but we haven't really seen that stack up against elite competition. And then it's when adversity hits too. I mean, that, that's always the big one, right? Yeah, correct, yeah. When, when you've got inexperience, it's, yeah, when things are going well, it's all yeah. it's all good when it's not going well is when you really find out about some of these kids. For sure. And I still think they are trying to work things out offensively. They're still looking for something outside of KJ Hamler. And and Noah Kane is the freshman running back who has done a really, really good job as he sort of starts to take over that number one position from the running back perspective. But that defensive front is nasty for Penn State and that's going to keep you in a lot of games. The last team is Oregon, the Ducks. I mean, they've just lost Jacob Breeland. He's out for the year, I believe. He's their number one receiving option, one of the best tight ends in the country. Their defense has been fantastic, but not really tested. And my biggest question would be for them is what happens when they go down a couple of scores? What happens when they get, again, you just spoke about that adversity. What happens when they get in a bit of an uncomfortable situation and their non-explosive offense has to, you know, turn that game around for them. Yeah, I mean, and we've already seen the blueprint for them because ha- this is the team that's lost a game. You know, they, they yeah. lost to Auburn. So you can kind of see what happened there. And whilst they've kind of gone from strength to strength since then, it's still the same questions for when they come up against elite competition. Uh, they didn't disgrace themselves at all in that game. They, no, they had every oh, opportunity. They were almost in control. Exactly really, right. Yeah. They had every opportunity to win that one. Yeah. But they didn't, and it ain't going to get any easier coming up against any of the other aforementioned teams we've had. Yeah, and I feel like Oregon's going to miss a trick this year, which sucks a little bit for them. Uh, but they don't have the explosive play on offense, which is maybe going to hold them back a fraction. Uh, but we've also spoken about the fact that you've got to win games in different ways. At the moment, they're being carried by their defense. There's going to be a point in the season where Oregon's offense is going to have to go and win them a game. They're going to go and have to score 38 points in a game. And can they do that? The teams that are out, Georgia. I'm saying they rule a line through them. I don't think they can make it now. That loss to South Carolina with those nine teams ahead of them, I think, at this stage. I mean, they're currently ranked 10th, which so that would make that about right. With those nine teams ahead of them, I don't think they can make it. I don't think there's enough losses to be dished around for them not to make it. Um, I talked last or in the last episode about this Georgia offense being pretty average and I've finally found some numbers for you and this one is they have completed just one pass over 11 yards for a touchdown this entire year they've got only 15 plays of that distance through the air on the year and you know for reference sake Alabama leads the nation with 48 even teams like Miami are ahead of them so this offense slow stodgy is not going to be able to keep up the pace and I don't know how that's the case with arguably the biggest arm in the SEC. James Coley, who had the same issues at Miami. He was the offensive coordinator at Miami under Al Golden, so I know a bit about him. He had the same sort of issues towards the back end of his tenure. So I'm concerned about the Georgia offense. I don't think they're getting out of this hole. Yeah, I disagree with you on this one. I think Georgia certainly have an opportunity to make it in. I would include them in it. Yes, they had a mind-melting upset on the weekend which I still don't understand and still trying to figure out but outside of that they can still win the East they still get a shot at an SEC championship game they win that they're still going to the playoff they're I mean yes. they, they have a clear shot at it they still have 
a very good quarterback. They still have a lot of talent, like the best running back in the nation or one of the best yeah, running backs. Yeah, I'm not that big on DeAndre Swift. And, and that's probably fair with Jonathan Taylor taking the mantle as the best or Trevor Hubbard up there or a few, a few other, Travis Etienne, there's a few. But he's in the conversation. So they, they've got dudes. They, they've got players. You're, you're right in your doubts, I suppose, because we've seen them lose. There is some stats to say they're not explosive. They're not getting it done. But I still think it can happen for them. So I'm certainly not willing to rule them out because it could be, I mean, we're going back a few years here, but Florida dropped that game. Uh, early on, and Timmy Tebow made the promise where you know something oh, you happened. love that I thing. Like it. <laughs> but was this before or after Aaron Hernandez murdered that guy? Uh, that was before. Okay, he was, he was a murderer when he was on the Patriots, I believe. <laughs> okay, just checking. Which is crazy to think he was playing for them and killing dudes. But and he's even dead now as well. Yeah, like, he is. Times have changed. Anyway, <laughs> that was good. Um, <laughs> so. I think that Georgia could be in a similar situation where they're really motivated by this. The loss is early enough in the year because we often talk about where your loss occurs. Loss happens in the last quarter of the year. Terminal, you're fucked. Yeah. It, this one's early enough that, that it, they can use it as motivation. This can kick them into gear and things could still go their way. They could still end up winning this whole thing. Okay. The last team that we have not mentioned at all really... Um, I mean, the fact that they don't really have a conference is another thing. But Notre Dame, uh, they've lost one game for the year. It was on the road at Georgia. They lose by a touchdown. If I'm ruling out Georgia, I'm ruling out Notre Dame. I think that offense is completely stale. Uh, Ian Book has not been called to pass the ball past the line of scrimmage often enough. He's a great runner of the ball, and Tony Jones has come out and had a really, really good year, and they look like they're going to be able to move the ball on the ground. The defense, although losing some pieces from last year, appears to be really solid once again. I just don't think that that offense has quite got enough to get them across the line. And looking from a kind of a a voting polling position, a loss to a one-loss Georgia team is not going to age well. Yeah, I am... The, with you on this one in that I think Georgia can make it I don't think Notre Dame can because they are tied to Georgia and they really needed Georgia to be perfect and clean and all the way through they needed Georgia to be number one and then they get in as a number four team that lost to them yeah. now that that isn't the case even if Georgia go undefeated from here it's not going to be enough because they're not going to be going in as potential top seed so I think they're in a bit of strife there and not only that, I, I see them dropping. They've, they've got a few weaknesses. They're not in the same caliber of uh, completeness as a lot of the other teams that we've So mentioned. this brings me to my second issue with the college football playoff is that Notre Dame drops one game for the year and the way that that's played out is that their season is effectively over because Notre Dame measures themselves on national championships. Their season, a one-loss season, which is good by lots of standards, they could go and get a really good bowl game and play in a really good bowl game. For a lot of their fans, their season is considered over, which I don't like, I don't agree with. Yeah, but I mean, that's the case for almost all teams, right? You lose one exactly. game and you're done. Exactly, that's my point. But that's college that's, football. No, it's not though. It doesn't have to be. There's 130 teams. How else can right. it be that? What, we're still opening it up? You lose three games, no, you can still make I'm it? No, what I'm saying is that you hold value in your conference games, which exist less and less with the college football playoff. And, you know, a, a team like, uh, well, any team, but like Notre Dame this year, a classic example is that they could go and win, I don't know what bowl it is, I don't know how it fits, but they could go and win the Orange Bowl. And the media will portray, will portray that, and even their fans will portray that as not a successful season, even though that should be. That should be exciting for them. All the winners of those big New Year's Six Bowl games should be excited about that. They still are. They be, uh, they still they're not. Loved. They're not. You're telling me Texas didn't love that win over Georgia last year in the Sugar Bowl? Oh, possibly, but... Oh, but absolutely. They've been talking about that down in Texas. Different situation. You've got Texas finally making some inroads. This is a Notre Dame team that made the playoff last year, and they could be a one-loss team again that finishes 7th, 8th, or ninth ranked at the end of the year, and I just... That, that is part of the reason I don't like it. 
But we, we will deep dive this, mate. We just about need to dedicate a whole episode to it. Okay, this is our last segment, we promise, because this <laughs> has been an absolute monster. I've had three beers in the time we've recorded this, and I'm empty again, so I feel like I'm drinking all your beers here, Will. That's right, get into them. I will. Um, the last segment we're going to get to, and Will's going to dominate this one, which is good because my voice is shot, that is the mid-season award. So we're going to be dishing out some really cheesy uh, awards, the sorts of things that you pick up in an Australian souvenir shop run by a Chinese immigrant that has been here for the grand total of about four months. Let's, so. let's be careful there. So I... <laughs> I have a number of awards to give out here. I have some nominations that I've grouped up for these awards. Haven't decided who's going to win it, so I'm going to pitch out my nominations. And if you could uh, tell me the winner or, or tell all of our listeners who the winner are, okay, uh, that that would be great. So uh, there are what do we got? Seven in total here. Uh, they cover a whole wide range of things across the year. We're looking at. Uh, so far to date, midway through the year, what has been most impressive to us, I suppose. So to kick things off, the first award we're handing out is the Dead Set Ripper. Uh, so this award here is... Will oh, came up with all the names for these, by the way. Just Don't, that out don't be throwing me under the bus <laughs> like that. Unless you like them, then yep, I'm on board. That's me. It's all me. Uh, dead Set Ripper is the best game so far. So I want... Uh, to be able to tell people out there, if you haven't watched all or a lot of college football, but you're looking to get into it, what what maybe should I get onto YouTube and see if I can find a copy of? So the games that I have nominated are the UCLA v. Washington State Classic. So that was UCLA getting up 67 to 63. After being down 34 points in the yeah, third Yeah, something quarter, ridiculous. Something? Absolute barn burner. It was all happening in that one. Really good fun to watch. Uh, I have the week zero matchup, Hawaii and Arizona. So oh, this that is was Hawaii one, beat actually. Arizona 45 to 38. Khalil Tate got to the one yard line. Exactly right. Game, yeah. with, that, with that last ditch effort that fell one yard short. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this one. I was watching it with a few mates and, and they really got into it too who don't normally watch college football. So that's one that's certainly in the conversation. And finally, we have... Big time matchup, LSU and Texas. So this was a, a something that we were really anticipating and it lived up to the hype. So LSU got up 45 to 38. Those are the three matches that I have nominated so far this year. Uh, who is our winner? Um, I loved the week zero matchup, the week zero tilt. But I'm going to take that one out of it just because... The games that aren't conference games or not ranked games, I just don't quite hold the same luster. There's not the quite the same amount on the line, so I'm going to take that one out. I love a funky, strange game. I remember the uh, West Virginia Baylor game from a few years ago, where like they just decided that no one would play defense and they put up like 150 points or something. Get that a lot in the Big Twelve, don't worry. <laughs> something crazy. Um, so whilst I like the UCLA Washington State and I would highly recommend watching that one because it's just crazy and I like when things go sideways. In terms of higher value for a ranked matchup, a big build-up to a game, a big out-of-conference game, a real test for two teams and some quality football, I have to take LSU Texas. Okay, there you have it. That That is the best game of the first half of the year. I think so, yes. Cool. Right, moving along, our next award is the Dolchek Day Award. So this one here is being... Dolchek sounds like a like a Russian ballet dancer or something. I'm assuming, assuming it? it's not that. It is not that, no. So Dolchek is what we hand out for our uh, welfare recipients here <laughs> in Australia. We've both collected those in our time. So. I, I've got my Centrelink check when I was studying. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> While I was over in the States, I was getting paid really well. <laughs> oh, God. And the exchange rate was great. It was brilliant. Yeah, all right. Uh, so this is for the coach that has earned themselves the most cash throughout the first half of the year. So this, I like this one. I this like is this. the one where they have done really well. Uh, they may be not the most prolific coach so far, but they're certainly getting themselves 
into a position where they're going to be a hot commodity come the end of the year. So my nominees for this are Sonny Dykes at SMU. He has obviously turned that program around and have them ranked in the AP poll for the first time in 25 years. They keep winning. They're breaking a lot of 30-year-old records at the moment. So that's an awesome effort to achieve that. Uh, next one up's Matt Campbell at Iowa State. So he was really hot coming into this year. They did kind of stumble a little bit with close losses against Baylor and Iowa, but the team is still looking really good. It is a really strong program, and he is someone that is certainly going to be sought after when he decides to move on. Uh, the last one is Willie Fritz at Tulane. Who Love him. You who, love some yourself, some Willie Fritz, don't you? He's just a winner everywhere he's been. So he's a guy who's had uh, quite a storied career through the different ranks of high school, Div 3, Div 2, and then now battling it out uh, at a, a lower Group of 5 program, I'd say, in Tulane. Uh, who haven't had a whole heap of success and has them looking really dangerous to start the year. So another name there. Those are our three nominees. I love me some Tulane Green Wave. And they have got, I think they're undefeated in conference at the moment. Maybe they dropped one for the year or maybe two, but looking really, really good. And I love to see those coaches. He seems like a real uh, like grassroots kind of operator, which I really enjoy as well. Uh, but I'm not going to go with him. I'm going to go with Matt Campbell. And I know that sounds like probably the easy option. And it possibly is. But I think if I compare him to a guy who was in a similar place at the same stage last year, and that is Jeff Brom at Purdue. And both of those clubs, Purdue's probably got a better history than what Iowa State does. Winning in Ames, Iowa is not has never been a thing. They, and you know better than anyone, they are the bottom or have been the bottom dwellers until they beat your Oklahoma State Cowboys to ruin their uh, season. No, but in- that's what they got off on. Like that's That was kind of has been their thing. They yeah. they provide an upset win every yeah, now and yeah. then. But that's that's the the high mark, the high watermark of a good season is, yeah, we beat a, a ranked team. Yeah. And last year, Matt Campbell put up some good results and they were in the top part and of the Big 12 and people were really, cons- or people, teams were really worried about having to front up and play them because they were a good team. The hardest thing to do is go and back that up. Purdue has not done that this year and Matt Campbell, whilst they haven't been great yet, Brock Purdy has produced a really, really good game. That defense is in the top one or two in the Big 12 at the moment. Um, and I think to back up a really solid year by another solid start, they would have been disappointed with the loss, but they certainly weren't blown out. They haven't been embarrassed, and they appear to be legitimate teams uh, in every single game that they play. That is a tough, tough ask. He's managing it, and I think he has, whilst he, he's lost the, uh, the surprise factor and the... Uh, you know, probably the the little kind of gimmicky factor of being Iowa State again, that's not there anymore. It's like, okay, now you've got to go and win each week. He's doing that. And so that is where my vote goes. Okay, there you go. Uh, Matt Campbell gets to take home big fat doll check. Big so fat doll check. He'll be happy with that. I don't know, I think he will be. I think he'll get paid a lot more than that in the next year or two. Well, I've seen what some of the where our taxes go to welfare. Easy, Are mate. You sure? Easy, easy, easy. <laughs> okay, so the Ankle Biter Award. Uh, this one is handed out to the best freshman so far this year. So I've only got the two nominees here. I have Jaden Daniels, the quarterback out of Arizona State, and Derek Stingley Jr., the defensive back corner from LSU I'm an offensive guy um, and I've really enjoyed Jaden Daniels and the fact that he hasn't had too many freshman moments he's won on the road a couple of times he's beat Michigan State etc etc but I'm actually going to take the cornerback from LSU I was I watched the LSU Florida game this week and there was one play that he made which you don't see freshman cornerbacks making too often. He was one-on-one in coverage uh, and in the red zone, and you see cornerbacks panic all the time. And he gets into a position where uh, 
he is able to read the eyes of the quarterback. He's got a good feel of where the receiver is. I can't remember who it was on this particular play. He steps in front of the pass and makes a really, really good play on the ball. And it was just a really mature, knowledgeable play. The sort of plays that we saw Eric Reed make at LSU. The sort of plays we saw Jamal Adams make where he just looks in complete control uh, and is in the quarterback's head with them. And that's a really impressive trait as a true freshman. Yeah, I agree. He is an, a special talent. He's a future early first rounder. He's going to be another difference maker at that cornerback position. You don't often see this uh, as a freshman. No. Like It is a big step up and it normally takes a couple of years for you to spend time in conditioning programs and, and getting yourself up for it at, the, at that spot. So the fact that he's been able to go in and be as successfully as is incredibly impressive. And, and just even to feel comfortable defending someone one-on-one. Yeah. That is not an easy thing to do in college football these days because you can't get physical. You can't make contact early. Everyone, every referee is there ready with their hand on that little yellow tower, ready to throw the, the flag on the field. So, But he is so conf- he looks so confident in his ability to read the play and have knowledge of the quarterback and the play and what they're trying to do and what the defense is designed to do. I'm going to cu- pump the brakes on him being a top pick just yet. There's a long way to go oh, in his is. career. And I've seen cornerbacks come out like this in a blaze of glory and then really fall away as teams stop targeting them or they... That's a good thing. It is. Or conversely, they don't have... They lose that shutdown ability and they, they, for some reason, they stop or they, you know, don't turn their head back to the quarterback. They they lose their instincts for, for chasing the ball. If he can keep that ball hawking instincts, he will be a good one. If he becomes this man-focused individual then that's when things may get away from him. Yeah, he's obviously got a a lot of football to still play at the college level, which Mm. is exciting for us to be able to follow. Mm. Okay, next one up is the Going Off Award. So this is our offensive player through the first half of the year. This is not where I thought this was going, but yeah. (laughs) So uh, our three nominees for this are Joe Burrow. So he's obviously got the 2,100 yards on the ground, the highest... Through the air. uh, Sorry, yeah, through the air. He's not running that much. The highest uh, QBR uh, out at the moment with 25 touchdowns and only three interceptions. Uh, Next is Chuba Hubbard, who has the 1,100 yards on the ground and 13 touchdowns uh, as the most voluminous running back in college football. And finally, the combination of the two, Jalen Hurts, who has (laughs) the passing yards and the rushing yards. So... 1,750 passing yards, 17 touchdowns, and only the three interceptions. And then he's also got 630 rushing yards and eight touchdowns. Those are your three nominations there. I'm going to drop Tuba Hubbard straight away, and, I, and I'd feel bad about that because he is a he is a momentum setter for an entire game. You see defenses fearing. It's like he gets handed that ball, in even in shotgun, it's like an inside zone run, and they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> and he's taken those to the house this year. But... To me, it's not him. You've got two guys that have surprised. And, you know, Jalen Hurts, I don't know where I'm going to go with this. I think I think I'm going to go Joe Burrow. Jalen Hurts, though, I mean, to me, he's playing better than what Kyler Murray was and what Oof. Baker Mayfield was. I don't know why I think that. Baker Mayfield had this brashness, this arrogance, and this real ad-lib... You say had. And still has, Yeah. Uh, this real ad lib style. He was he was pass first, and then he would run and create stuff. And Jalen Hurts does that, but he does it with a lot more grace and a lot more fluidity than Baker Mayfield did. Kyler Murray was like a water bug in space; like he'd made dudes miss. I'm I don't know that Jalen Hurts has got the arm talent, but I think Joe Burrow for me. I but then again, how much credit do we put on? Brady, how much credit do we put on Lincoln Riley? Both of those guys were deemed to have to f- probably flame out as college quarterbacks. Both of them have had a big season. I'm going to take Joe Burrow. I didn't rate him last year. I thought the offense did nothing to help him. He looks in complete control, complete understanding, and he. We talk about Baker Mayfield's brashness. He doesn't have that. He's just like, "Yep, I'm going to score, and I know it, and there's nothing you can do to stop us." 
Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, he has been really impressive. There you go. All right, so we'll move along now. We've got the Going Tropo Award. You are running out of steam here, aren't you? Well, a little bit that, and we've been going for two hours. And... Are we going to get some FIFA in here at some at point? At some so... point, yeah. yeah all, right. all right, let's keep going. Uh, so Going Tropo. Uh, this is the defensive player of the first half of the year. So my three nominees here, Chase Young, the specimen that he is, uh, eight and a half sacks on the year, absolute disruptive force on the outside. We have Evan Weaver, who is leading all comers with tackles as the center of that vaunted cow defense, a very, very good uh, defense out in the Pac-12. He has 83 tackles on the year, and he's been extremely productive out there uh, and then your boy Joe Batchy at Michigan State so he's got 66 tackles but he also has the three and a half sacks and a pick as well to go along with that so he's a real uh, barometer for that side and, and he sure. leads a very good defensive side yeah I'm going to take Evan Weaver at Cow I think in a bit of a no-brainer I mean Chase Young is the best of those players from an athletic standpoint and from a future standpoint. But in terms of this year, that cow defense, I know they're not looking as great at one and two now in conference, but he is an absolute unit. 88 tackles on the year already. Are you serious? That is a lot of contacts. And even the amount of times that he's hitting blockers without making the tackle, he is reading the ball carrier before they've even broken the huddle it's like he's in the huddle with that offense he is a really really good operator he leads that cow defense which is one of the best in the nation Um, and he will go on to have hopefully a pro career and hopefully a pretty good pro career as well although um, run stopping backers are not probably making a whole heap of money and, and hopefully not CTE well no he's got that <laughs> That's, he's made 88 tackles this year just from that alone yeah, it's is. not good it's not yeah. good okay last one here this All is right. the big one this is the one that everyone wants this is the it's the kangaroo scrotum bottle opener isn't it the highly anticipated true blue award oh that is fucking so first half of the year who has been the most impressive Aussie uh, to date so obviously we've got mainly punters playing college football level there's a few other position players out there We've got a couple of kickers. I think there's a tight end or, or two floating about the place. Uh, but our nominees are all punters because we excel at that so well, I suppose. Uh, the three there, Max Duffy to begin with. So he is averaging 40, uh, sorry, 50 and a half through the air, uh, a net of 47, as I mentioned earlier in the show. So absolutely killing it. Number one ranked punter in all of the country. Uh, the other nominees are Oscar Bradburn at Virginia Tech. So he is currently ranked four in the nation, coming in at, in at an average of 48. Uh, and he is really, really impressive. He has been super consistent and is right up there amongst it. The last one is Dane Roy from Houston. Uh, so he has an average of 47.2, which is super healthy, is, which gets him in an eight in the nation in that ranking. But he also has 15 that he's pinned inside the top, uh, inside the 20, which is really, really impressive as a start. Uh, and I think he probably could have a little bit more leg. It's just his team's kind of stitching him up a little bit and, and making him punt a little bit shorter than he needs. So so those are our three guys there. Didn't want to get Cody Grace in there, you jacked boyfriend from Archie State. I kind of wanted to get him in there, but you can't always be hanging these things out there. I just assume that right now he's like headbutting brick walls. Just lifting. He's just lifting. I mean, it has to be Max Duffy, doesn't it? Despite what we know about this guy, which is nothing. We know nothing about him. Seems like a good bloke uh, and having a fantastic year. And, you know, whilst he's probably, you know, the Wildcats are probably not getting the results that he would like. He personally, I mean, I guess that's the nature of being a punter, isn't it? That. The worse your team goes offensively, the more action you see, the better your numbers are, probably the better your season you're having, the more awards you're going to win. So, you know, it's a bit of a catch-22 as a punter. He's having a great year. And, I, you know, 
we would love to see more Aussies get recognition and for them to go on and have successful pro careers and enjoy playing you know, this sport, whether it's in college, in the pros, wherever, and, and hopefully he gets an opportunity to do that and will come out this year as the number one punter. So let's here's to hoping that he continues to have a really good back end of season 2019 and to all our punters as well. Absolutely. Well, there you have it. The, f- the first mid-season awards that we've handed out. Okay, and the last probably. Um, <laughs> but... This brings us to the end of a very exhausting uh, episode mid-season review. Uh, I don't know if you're going to break this up into one or two, Will. We'll, but probably, we'll split it into two. We'll split it into two. Good. So um, check this out at your leisure. Uh, feel free to peruse this whenever you feel is suitable. Please, more than anything, enjoy this weekend's offering of games before you do listen to this and half of Will's predictions will be out the window by then. However, make sure regardless of your college football viewership that you do hit us up on Twitter and on Instagram at CFB Down Under. Make sure you do subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher, on uh, Spotify, on iTunes, on your podcast app, on whatever podcast catcher that you have Uh, make sure you tell your friends about us tell your family about us and let's keep the Aussies moving forward in the punting game and let's enjoy the the back end of season 2019 on behalf of Will Murden sitting in the same room as me and myself here Aaron Kemp thank you for listening and we will see you next time